This is Petticoat Rule, a program about musical productivity examined through the storytelling lens of women in the music industry. I'm your host, Erica Jean Christina Lang, and let me introduce producer Tara Molesworth. And our guests today are the ladies of Sparkle Pony from Philadelphia, PA. That would be lead vocalist Valentina Raffaelli. Hello. But today, today I'm smiling. Today I'm jamming out, I'm skipping town. See you around. The air is clear. And bassist Molly Eber Wilson. Hi. The sun it beats down through my bones. I cannot bear the garden. And I may not stay till we bend moan as the earth begins to harden. Oh, August, oh, August, as the earth begins to harden. Okay, so welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah. yeah. We're excited. Yeah, absolutely. So Sparkle Pony is an effervescent bluegrass slash folk group. Some people call it newgrass comprised of extremely talented and dedicated musicians. Each of the women in Sparkle Pony are actually engaged in multiple musical endeavors. For example, Valentina is also a choir director and music teacher and is also a solo artist. And Molly has been immersed in folk in Rare Spirits, The Wasties, and Mist Covered Mountains. Sarah Larson, who is not with us today and plays fiddle in the band, is also in a group called Ladybird. Together in Sparkle Pony, though, they perform artfully arranged compositions with striking harmonies. We are excited to have them on the show, and I hope to learn about their musical backgrounds and strategies for balancing it all, as well as what the bluegrass scene is like in Philly, and of course, what creativity means to them. Okay, so but first, I want to talk to you guys about your band name, Sparkle <laughs> Pony, because... I'll take this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... I was looking up online some, you know, I was like, Sparkle Pony band, you know, whatever. And um, I found like this like whole urban dictionary entry and everything about Sparkle Ponies being like these people who go to um, Burning Man. And they're is, not prepared. And they're not no, prepared. That's, that's not, uh, it's not related to that. That's not related to that. It, it seems like it can't be related. It, it could be camping related in the sense that. We thought about it, and we thought it was funny, the fact that none of us are really bluegrass players, uh-huh. uh, but we all play in a, we decided to just play in a bluegrass band, so that would make sense, um, but that's not the reason. Uh, Lewin's, Lewin is, um, I would say, lead songwriter, leader mm-hmm. of the band. He thought of the band. He's also my husband. Happens to be my husband. <laughs> um, now I, I'm joking. His gr- uh, grandmother was a rodeo queen in the 20s. Really? And bought uh, this horse from uh, the person who ended up then being her husband. Oh. And it was the only horse that ever threw her husband off. Oh. 
and she named him <laughs> Sparkle Pony. I see. She named, she named a horse Sparkle Pony, not she her named, husband. Not the husband. Yeah. <laughs> she named, uh, yeah, she named the horse Sparkle Pony. So that's where the logo comes from. The logo oh. is uh, a horse throwing uh, a man off the horse. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a, we liked it. We liked the name. That's great. You know, it's also a name of a band in Portlandia, a fake band it, in Portlandia. Yeah, yeah. We talked to the girl uh-huh. from uh, that does the skit. Yeah. And uh, that, you mean like um, Jenny Conley, who does the who's the Decemberist yeah, girl? Yeah, yeah. You talked to her. Cool. We, yeah, we're friends. We oh, have friends wow. in common. And uh, at the beginning of the band, Luan was like reached out to her online and said, "Do you mind if we use Sparkle Pony?" And she's like, "I'm in a band called the Decemberists." <laughs> You can have Sparkle Pony. <laughs> so we're cool. I we're all cool. Sparkle Pony, you can have it. Yeah, yeah, we're all cool. Well, that's funny. That's, <laughs> that's really, um, that's interesting. So how long have you guys been together as band? Um, Sparkle Pony has been around for, I want to say, five years. Um, Luan and I started together. Obviously, we had some um, ro- a rotating cast of musicians at the beginning. You know, you try to find the right fit. Mm-hmm. Um, Molly was the latest addition. Yeah. Yeah. Molly, how does it feel being in Sparkle Pony? It's been super fun. <laughs> I'm really glad that I got found by uh, these guys because, you know, I do a lot of... Uh, a lot of playing in the other groups and I ended up connecting with these guys because two different mutual friends of ours um, recommended me when they needed a bassist. So it was one of those Craigslist ad slash friends in common connections. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's been great so far. Yeah, that's great when you can find people organically like that and then it works out nicely. The chemistry is good. So how long have you been playing the bass? Oh, so, uh, I started out primarily as a vocalist and, uh, I, <laughs> but I, uh, I started playing the bass, uh, electric bass probably about four years ago. Um, maybe four and a half. My, uh, my boyfriend is a drummer mm-hmm. and I had been singing with him and our good friends. And for my birthday, the first year we were dating, he handed me a bass. Am I allowed to swear? On this? Yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure. Fuck yeah, (laughs) do it. But, um, but so he handed me a bass for my birthday and said, uh, you can't just be a vocalist, don't be an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Which is fair, you know, my mom tried to get me to play fiddle or anything for ages, my whole childhood growing Uh up, and nothing took really except for singing. Uh, and then I went to school for musical theater and ended up still in New York and then when he handed me the bass, uh, I figured someone had paid for an instrument for me, so I better learn it. Mm, and yeah. I, and I kind of fell in love with it, especially when I, I bought the upright about three years ago. And, and so he gave you an electric bass. Yes, he gave me a small electric bass, and then I invested in the upright because I figured since I was primarily playing folk music, it was sensible. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, haven't looked back. I really love it. So how did you, so you, you got the instrument, but it's, it's more, you got to do more than just like have the instrument. Everybody <laughs> knows you got to like learn how to play it. So how did you tackle that? I went and found a teacher. You did? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. I've got a really cool teacher in Philly and, you know, being an adult who was learning an instrument is very different from being a kid who's learning an instrument where, you know, most kids who I know who are learning to play kind of struggle with practicing and with 
Preach it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Valentina, you must know all Pre about this. Preach it, girl. Yeah. <laughs> they, they struggle with practicing and with wanting to be there, whereas when you're an adult, you wish you had all the time in the world to practice. Yeah. And then you have all of these adult responsibilities you have to take care of first. Mm -hmm. So uh, I wish I was able to to take lessons more consistently, but... I take lessons whenever I can because you're always working and improving. And other than that, you just practice a shit ton yeah. <laughs> until you can't anymore. Until your fingers are bleeding. Well, and it's interesting too because coming to everything as a vocalist, I really struggled with um, reading music and with mm. um, with that sort of technical music theory stuff. Very different from you, Valentina. I know you're totally a theory head. Well, I went to jazz school. <laughs> You Did went you to musical theater. Yeah. It was a di it's a different way to approach the same instrument. Yeah, we we just read a bunch of stuff. And uh, where did you go to jazz school? At U Arts, University oh. of the Arts in Philadelphia. Okay. And where did you go for musical theater? I went to NYU's Cap Twenty One Tisch okay. program. So, like, when you were younger, you were obviously drawn to music, and you ended up doing that for like actual college years too. So, I mean, how did you? I don't know. How did it feel to like, just like know that that's the direction you were going? Did you, did you feel like you knew you were going to make music your life or was it just sort of, I love music. I'm going to do this. And Either of you, both of you. Yeah. I have, I have a, a cool story that involves Luen. Um, uh -huh. So I think uh, he, he might enjoy hearing this later. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> um, I, I, he, I met Luen in Italy and I was in film school because, um, my brother is a filmmaker and I don't know, my, my family sort of watched a ton of movies growing up. And, um, but I was always drawn to music. I was always singing. I did some musical theater shows. I've been playing the piano since I was six years old. Mm. Um, so I kept singing in cover bands, which is mostly what people do in Italy. We don't really breed songwriters, right? Mm -hmm. So I met Lewin and he was all about original music and he heard me sing and I heard him sing and that's when we fell in love. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. and we make beautiful music together right. now. We didn't like each other until we heard each other's voice. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Which is, uh, I think it's super cute. Yeah. And he, he said, you should write songs. You should write some songs and you should uh, really invest in your music career and uh, five years later, I was auditioning for music schools mm -hmm. in, in Philadelphia, and I ended up just at the jazz program at University of the Arts. Um, but I, I had really have to thank Cluen for, for seeing that movie and being in the film industry was probably not the right. Yeah. I was studying to be an editor, too. So oh, wow. it was unbelievable to think to just spend time 12 hours a day in a dark room looking at sure yeah do you like being outside in the sunshine and things like yeah. that yeah. yeah yeah and i like being in control of the creative prod um, product rather than um, here's a bunch of um stuff we made oh, here's yeah. what i want you to do because that's you know the editor is definitely a big part of the of mm -hmm. the film Definitely, but like no you're one cares. No one knows anybody's editor's names. Like I never, I, yeah, like yeah, right? Because you're into yeah, it. Yeah, because I'm into it. I don't, yeah, I know who the editors are, but uh, you know, I definitely think that uh, Martin Scorsese can't do a movie without his mm -hmm. trusted editor. Oh, that's interesting. Whose name right now is escaping me, but she's a woman. Oh yeah, that's yeah. what I remember. Woo. All and right. she's awesome because he 
does hours and hours of shooting. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then, then he's throw like, all this here, stuff. here's 11 ah. hours. <laughs> Make it into a film. Wow. <laughs> Just as an aside, what's, um, what's preferable? Like somebody who doesn't give you enough film and then it's like kind of crummy stuff and you have to make the best of it or someone who gives you way too much and then you have to look through everything and sort it out. We make a lot of videos. Uh, I, I make cooking videos and, mm-hmm. um, we make all the YouTube videos that are on our okay. YouTube channel. So your skills come in handy. The skills come in handy and, um, <laughs> it's definitely better to have a little too much that you can pick and mm-hmm. choose from. Um, but my, my brother's advice is just cut at random. Just, oh. you know, just pick and choose random things that look appealing to you. And sometimes magic happens. Yeah. And then you're, you're left with a really cool video. Uh huh. Ha. Interesting so, advice. <laughs> do you feel like that crosses over at all into songwriting? That sort of style of. Oh, for sure. Um, we, Luan and I songwrite together a lot and he'll come up with, a little melodic line on the guitar or he has some chords and I have some words, but it's not enough to make up song. So I scroll through my little notebook and I'm like, Oh, those lyrics could go with those lyrics. Mm-hmm. And you just patch and, and work it uh, together. Yeah. That's funny because my songwriting process is totally different. From <laughs> oh, that. let's hear about it. I, um, I have the tendency, I've talked about this with a lot of people who I work with where when I write songs, 90% of the top of the song words and melody and everything all at once just kind of pops into my head almost fully formed. Wow. Yeah. And then there's also that. Yeah. When you're sorry, no, you're fine. when you're working with someone else, I feel like it's, it, it's more easy to patchwork. Uh, when I'm writing by myself, I'm definitely, you know, just writing out things and, and keeping it in. Um, in context, but, um, the more you do it, the more, and I don't know if you do it, do you, do you keep a notebook? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah, sometimes I was ask you yeah. too, actually, because at, like pretty universally, everyone I've talked to about this has a little thing in their phone or a mm-hmm. place where they put like, there's these random things that come to them. Got to put it down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got to write it down. And sometimes it's one line yeah. or one word or a concept or an idea or a melodic line. And then you have to. Uh, it's pr- like practicing an instrument. You have to sit down. You have to finish what you started. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're lucky. <laughs> it's a good song. And sometimes, yeah. you know, whatever. You wrote it anyway. <laughs> at least at least you did something useful. Yeah. It goes in the song, <laughs> goes in the song graveyard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Creative pile. Yeah, the creative <laughs> you pile. You put in the creative. Maybe it'll be useful later. It could be. I've had that happen a lot actually. Or sometimes you just need another set of eyes on it too, or another set of ears. Like sometimes you, you can write something and you don't think it's any good. And then someone comes along and changes one thing and it turns it into something totally different. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of the time with the stuff that I write in collaboration with, um, with my other band River Spirits, that that's what happens is someone will come with a mostly formed idea and then someone just throws a total wrench into it and it ends up being something really cool. So in Sparkle Pony, though, do you like do you like write the bass parts then, for example, or well, your recent so you probably had to learn something. Yeah, right? I'm still in the 
oh my god, there's so much material in front of me. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, process. Yeah. I, think, I think just for these past gigs, I think I finally learned everything. Yeah, oh. I, I think you're caught up, Molly. That we were just saying it the other day. Yeah. We realized after these two gigs that we have four hours of repertoire between original wow. songs and covers uh-huh. and Molly's finally caught up with all of it. Wow. Yeah, it takes some time. Yay. Good job. Oh, thanks. And now we it's can a lot start, of work. Now we can start adding some songs and uh, we definitely yeah, with no that, rest for you. Yeah. No, there's never. It's cool. I'm good. I don't mind. Yeah. So but in general do do the different people in the band write their own parts like there you have a couple guys in the band Lewin and Bryce and um and then there's Sarah also. Yeah, yeah. Band. Um it all depends on the song. Uh but let's say in in general um if Lewin comes up with a song, we'll we'll ask Bryce or Sarah to come up with a uh a lead or an intro. Mm-hmm. or, um, you know, a mandolin fiddle part. And, you know, on a certain song, you hear more mandolin. On the other one, you hear more fiddle. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah wrote several melodic lines on, like, Save Me Some Room one, um, and uh, Two Left Feet. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I will do the same. So we, the latest song that we did was the Flying. Oh, yeah. The one that we were thinking about performing Perform for you mm-hmm. um which i have had in in the drawer for a while uh but i loved how i love how it comes the song comes alive the idea comes alive mm-hmm. and you give people that you trust a couple of directions and then they they roll with it and like molly was saying earlier it just becomes something not necessarily something else but it, it evolves and it get it sounds finished right, you know right and um that's super cool yeah. No, I love, I love that. That sounds great. So, um, you were saying before too, that you did music for five years. You started doing music for like five years before you started applying to schools. Is that right? Um, not really. I mean, I, I was, uh, playing piano. I started classical piano when I was six. Uh-huh. Then I right. quit when I was 12. I started mm-hmm. playing drums. Oh, cool. <laughs> Briefly, brief, uh, love affair with the drums. And then I did theater and then I did musical theater and then I was in a bunch of wedding bands mm-hmm. and then, uh, I did film. Right. I and see. I have a degree in, uh, film critic. Ah. And then, uh, in between all that, I met Lewin, I moved to the States mm-hmm. and I, I started doing jazz and songwriting. And when did you pick up the accordion? <laughs> Late, recently, recently? <laughs> is there is there a piano I can play on stage that yeah. doesn't look like a dead man in a coffin? Yeah, Ooh, a little, little tiny accordion, perfect. I can I can deal with that. Is it a small accordion or is it's it a, like it's a uh, it's a small accordion? Um, I forget the name it's of not it. That small? It is. It's a, like compared to the the I like full size accordion. Compared to like a concertina, it's not small. No, no, yeah. It's not like but a little. Kids accordion. It's a no. regular size accordion. It's a regular size accordion. Some some of the buttons are broken, so I don't really use them. I play mostly lead on it. Uh-huh. Um, 
but it's cool. I get to play a little keyboard on yeah, Korean on stage is so and sing cool. and cool. Yeah. I'm gonna get you a guitar for Christmas. <laughs> oh my god, what is that? A guitar? You don't know what it's? No, it's a little guitar, but it's got a tiny like little synth. Oh, the eighties. Yeah. Oh no, oh, it's yeah, great. That's what you're getting for Christmas. You were so excited about uh, the accordion a minute ago. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> There's a uh, guy in a band here in Pittsburgh who plays, He it's like, it's supposed to be a guitar, but it's actually just a keyboard he attached to a broomstick. <laughs> and he just like wears it around. He in this wins. band called Weird Paul. And you know, like, you yeah. know, he's just as weird as Paul is with playing that thing. But that's great. I, I'm sorry. I'm missing that. This <laughs> so you play it upside down though. We were talking beforehand. Because, yeah. Not, um, I was like, oh my God, you're left-handed when you signed her. So you're left-handed and you play the accordion upside down. Do you feel like that affects you in any other way? The left hand, being left-handed. Being left-handed, yeah. Um, I had to learn how to play right-handed guitar. Oh, so yeah. it affects me there. I feel like my left hand doesn't have as much strength as my right hand does because mm-hmm. um, I do, um, you know, all the small movements that I do, like writing and signing, they're with my left hand. So mm-hmm. to suddenly like put all the strength into playing bar chords or whatever, yeah, right? Um, it's been difficult, but I've been practicing more uh-huh. and it's getting better. So Good. kids out there. Yeah. Practice your instrument. Practicing. <laughs> Practice. 15 minutes every day. <laughs> 15 minutes. Is that the prescription? Oh, for kids, for sure. Yeah. Some, for some of them is enough. Then the, the more advanced you get, the higher the number becomes. Mm-hmm. So, um, could you talk a minute about teaching kids? Like what age kids do you teach? Um, in private lessons, I teach anyone from five years old to adult. Oh, wow. And I, the, my choir is the middle school choir of the Episcopal Academy in Newtown mm-hmm. Square. And I have uh, two choirs, uh, sixth grade, and then combined seventh and eighth grade, and then a small ensemble that they have to audition for that comprises everybody. Mm-hmm. And they're so cute. They're, really cute. <laughs> they're cute and they're good. They're really passionate. Yeah, kids really can be passionate. like really passionate. Well, they're passionate, but then also they don't want to practice like we were saying before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's actually funny because um, my mom's also a musician and she and I together run a program called the Great Groove Band at Philly Folk and at Old Songs and occasionally other festivals where we take all the kids who would be at loose ends during the festival, just running around and getting into trouble. And Mm -hmm. we take them for three workshop sessions, usually Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then they get to open the Sunday main stage concert. No way. That's so cool. Yeah. And it's a totally different thing because we can ask them to practice, but we have to realistically go into it knowing that they're not going to have that much time to practice, but they are so passionate and so excited. And one of the cutest things that happened was actually after Philly Folk a few years ago, one of the girls who played the guitar in the Great Groove Band wrote a song about how amazing her experience at Philly Folk was and how she got to, like, amongst other things, she included being a part of the Great Groove Band in her song. And it was so cute. That's so cute. I think it's called I Am the Ice Girl, and I think it's still on YouTube. So, wow. (laughs) I Am the Ice Girl is a very compelling title, too. I, like, want to hear this. Uh Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Maybe we can get her on the show sometime. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, do you find that some kids are, like, naturally talented and other kids have a harder time? Of course. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a definitely uh, 
something to say about the natural aptitude towards the instrument, but the ones that have less of it tend to practice more. They tend to mm. want it more. Yep. And they're the one that will succeed in the long run. Right. You can't only count on being talented. That only goes so far. Yeah. Even if you're naturally talented, you still have to put in the work. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yes. So how much do you guys practice? If you don't mind. Between, between work and everything. I consider teaching part of my practice. Uh, yeah. Especially when too. I'm teaching voice lessons. I do the, the vocal warm-ups with them. I sing songs with them. Um, and I teach four to five hours every day and plus my own personal practice. So let's put in the six hours. Wow. World. Okay. Not, not every day, but yeah, but, but like that's most enough. day, let's say four days out of the week. That's wow. for sure. And that's, is that vocal or um, guitar and stuff too? Inclusive. All of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Molly? So it depends. Uh, it depends on how busy the week is. I try to do a half an hour a day on bass because I'm still fairly new to the instrument. Um, and actually one of the things that's coming from a vocalist perspective, and again, having been someone who mostly learned by ear primarily my whole life, um, Thinking in in chords and in chord patterns rather than in melodies is a totally different thing to wrap <laughs> totally, your brain around. Totally different thing. Um, so when I <laughs> started playing the bass, one of the hardest things for me was memorizing the chart, like memorizing the arrangement in my head without a melody and lyrics to keep it rooted. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's actually something that I still have to put in a lot of work and a lot of just repetition time to get. Um, So for me, I sit there and I run through stuff that I know, but I don't have memorized yet a lot. And then again, I'll try and take a few minutes to do a more technical practice. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that's great. That's great practice. (laughs) I I try. That's Um, awesome. And then um, with bands, I think I usually end up practicing between the various different ones at least three hours a week, and then sometimes more. Mm. Yeah. yeah, how do you and, and gigs and, and stuff. gigs and stuff? Yeah, like how that. do you manage all of that <laughs> by being really, really uh, anal retentive about my schedule? <laughs> yeah, you um, have to be. Yeah, you have to schedule. I'm one of those people, and I don't always stick to it. You have to give yourself the freedom mm-hmm. to make yourself a perfectly timed schedule, and then throw it out the window if you have to. Mm-hmm. But um, I try to. Uh, I have like a generic schedule for what my day looks like where I'll be like, get up nine in the morning, do this thing, like have coffee and do social media for bands. Then oh, like, that's a whole other <laughs> practice of its own. Do you like do that? Like the night before you like you sit in bed? No, and, like, I just have, you a, I have a standard one and oh. then it deviates. And I only ever tend to rewrite it if I'm super overwhelmed, busy. Uh-huh. Um, and then I'm going to be honest. I don't stick to this. Yeah, I was going like, to say. I try and then I fail and you have to be okay with failing uh-huh. because otherwise you would just sit there and beat yourself up all day and no. get even less done, yeah, which definitely. I spent a lot of my early 20s doing. And so you can overcome that? Yeah, you can. Wow. You heard it here first, guys. <laughs> she can do it. It's great. No, it's, it's workable and it helps when you really like what you're doing, but some days you're mm-hmm. tired and you don't feel like it. And every once in a while to be like, I give myself permission to have a day off. Yeah. Cause when you're an artist, you never get a day off. That's the thing. Even on days when you don't have something, you don't have a rehearsal 
or you don't have your day job or whatever, you still sit there and anytime it's really easy to get trapped. Oh, it's for me. It's really easy to get trapped feeling guilty about any time that you're not spending creatively, like sitting around watching TV. No, I agree. Yeah. yeah. It's really easy to sit there and watch TV for an hour and be like, you could have done something with yes. that hour. <laughs> yeah. It's so easy totally. to fall into that. So you kind of have to remember to be nice to yourself yeah. and balance that with the perfectionism that leads to uh hard work. Yeah, absolutely. No, but it's heartening to hear that, um, that like I, one of my questions too is kind of about self doubt and how people overcome that. And <laughs> I feel like guilt, guilt, uh, guilt over not doing enough uh, practice or whatever is kind of like a whole it feeds into that whole thing. So have you ever had? Do you ever feel like? I mean, it's a dumb question. Who doesn't doubt themselves? But a lot of people don't talk about it. So how does it? How do you experience that? Uh so luckily I had the privilege of growing up in a hometown where we just had a freakishly large number of talented people. There must have been something in the water. Mm-hmm. So I grew up knowing that, you know, to a certain extent, you can tell that you are have a natural aptitude towards something. And for me at the time, it was being a vocalist. But uh, I was never a big fish in a small, font, uh, small pond. I was a medium fish in a medium pond uh-huh. most of growing up. And so then when I went to NYU, it was a le- at least a little bit less of an adjustment period mm-hmm. compared sure. to a lot of people who went from being very big fish in small ponds to being in a group of massively talented people. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Culture uh, but I will say that... Uh, being in a room full of people who are all amazing is simultaneously like a huge kick to your ego and this crazy exciting thing where you get to see all of these things that you could have if you work hard and things that you're Mm -hmm. capable of doing. Sometimes it's an active choice to be inspired by people who are better than you rather than intimidated. That's such a great way to think about it. You gotta work to think about it that way. Like, it's you do. Not yeah, yeah, no. Um, went to go see. Oh man, I forget now. The, the name is escaping me. It's been a long weekend, and I haven't been getting enough sleep. <laughs> uh, went to go see a concert. I'll just leave it at that. And uh, he's the organ player for Snarky Puppy. Can oh yeah. Anybody okay. help me? What is what's uh, his Corey name? Henry? Corey Henry. Corey Henry. Yeah, oh, he's great. My what a performer God. too, right? What a performer. His band is amazing. And we go to this concert with all our musician friends and we dance our asses off all night. Mm-hmm. And then it took me a couple of days to touch the piano again. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> Sure, that I want and with my voice, but then I was like, I need to, I need to pick my jazz skills back up, and you know, here's what I have, what I have to keep working on, mm-hmm. not to, not to be like him, but, right. but just for myself, like I would feel more accomplished with myself. So I have an internal struggle. I don't care about people around me. Yeah. Besides Corey Henry. <laughs> <laughs> he hugged me. It was amazing. Oh, cool. Um, he's so handsome. He is handsome. He's handsome and he's talented and he's has got an amazing voice and great songwriting, great person, great human being. What then, you, you know, you know Lou, what, what are you going to say? <laughs> no, he, he knows. He loves him. He loved him first. Uh (laughs) Um, 
but yeah, I have a, I have an internal struggle where um, I am high demanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have high demands for myself. I have very high standards that I rarely, <laughs> rarely achieve. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one of my very smart friends, wise friends, one time said, sometimes the bare minimum is enough. <laughs> so you don't always have to push your limits. Yeah. Sometimes one day that you're tired, you don't feel like practicing, doing the bare minimum fulfills your inner mm. uh, critic. Yeah. Right? You did, you, you did, did this. Something. At least you did this. Yeah. And at the end of the day, do a mental list, mental rundown of five things you accomplished today. And even if they're small things, like, you know, I took care of my Facebook page today, or I learned how to play the changes to this, uh-huh. whatever jazz song I like, or something simple. It doesn't have to take you three hours to do. Right. So how do you decide what is the bare minimum? Is this the process? It's, it's, say, yeah. 15 minutes. <laughs> 15, 15 minutes. The magic number. 15 minutes yeah. or something. Yeah. I that's mean, actually, that's what one of my acting teachers said is she's like, no matter what kind of day you're having, and I believe this is Kate Guyton, so shout out Kate Guyton. Uh, <laughs> no matter what kind of day you're having, spend 15 minutes doing something that furthers your career or do right. three things, three well, small things. And that's it. There are so many books that have been written on how to advance your music career. <laughs> and one of, one of them is, uh, uh, five minutes activities that you can do every day. Right. Uh-huh. So that if you can put in five minutes every day, um, then, then you're golden. If you can put 15 minutes every day, you know, Even five, better. five, five, just address those. And yeah. it doesn't have to be continuous. And uh, it's just something. At least you did something, right? Yeah. So that's how I keep myself in check. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to just lose track of time totally. and being self-motivated. And this has been one of those mantras that keeps me in line. Yeah, I sometimes say, it's good enough. And then whenever I say that, then suddenly I have, I can do a whole lot more. Um, and it is important to also remember that it's supposed to be fun. So sometimes on the days when I, uh, am having a rough day or don't feel like practicing, I practice something that is not anything I need to do, but just something fun. Mm -hmm. Like I'll go learn the baseline to, you know, Jackson five, watch back. I was gonna guess. Fun. I was gonna guess you were gonna play Michael Jackson, <laughs> criminal, or that. Pretty like, close. Yeah. So it's you know you go Didn't and you learn something, fu- or a, a one of the Beatles songs, the later ones where the bass lines are a little more difficult but fun. Uh-huh. You know, like you sit there and you, or hell, do go play the Ramones. Just go and like blast it and do something that reminds you that it's fun as people who, and I think it's fair to say about you too, who tend to be perfectionists, Mm -hmm. it's really easy to forget that it's supposed to be fun. (laughs) Oh, I had this, I had this whole period in, in when I was at UArts, it was part of my, you know, they always ask you to do, to write a mission statement, uh, when you, when you do your vocal exam. And my mission t- statement of that semester was, I am not sure I want to be a musician. <laughs> so honest and good, though. <laughs> yeah. Wait, the, again, the, what am I doing? Every now and then I have those moments. Um, but it's it's good to have hobbies that take you away from music. And mm-hmm. it's uh, good, like you were saying, to to say, that's enough. Like right. You have worked this enough. There's no perfection. 
right? Right. Yeah. You will yeah. you will never match uh, perfection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. But uh, <laughs> but you can try. You can, <laughs> you try. can try, and you can get as close to it as you are comfortable with. Uh-huh. And then it's better to put a product out there that is not necessarily perfect but that shows a little bit of your personality rather yeah i think it's you know like you can't be Corey henry but you can be you and he cannot be you either so like you know he might want to be you right and who knows he might hear things that we don't hear sure when he performs he might hear kinks that we aren't aware of at all yeah to us it sounds perfect but to him it's like ah yeah, that's supposed that. <laughs> this must be true because, you know, as musicians yourselves, when you're playing, you hear all the kinks and other people are always like, it was amazing. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, no, it was not amazing. <laughs> and you smile and you go like, thanks. Gotta fix ABC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you, you work, you work on it behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, yeah, you gotta put something out there. So the solo thing for you, is that nerve-wracking because of this whole perfectionism tendency? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I just got... Are you, like, putting yourself in the hottest water? I just got done shooting... Uh, sorry, say it again. Are you putting yourself in, like, the hottest water you can imagine by doing solo? Yes and no. I was uh, in a band uh, for years called Sunshine Superman, and uh, just dragging for people around... <laughs> Sorry about the term dragging, guys. <laughs> but it was uh, it was hard. It was uh-huh. hard to put to organize rehearsal. I'm it sure is. you can sympathize. You still play with the band, and yeah. and with Sparkle Pony, we have difficulties because we're all so busy. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a certain sense of relief of just like being in control of my own music. I use yeah. a, a loop uh, voice loop thing, oh. and I'm working on a series of cover songs that just feature the. Uh, it's called Tissy Halican. And uh, I just spent four days in in my home studio recording this one song with uh, my friend uh, Costanza Mansuedi, who came uh, to visit me from Italy, who helped me shoot it. So, you know, right now, if you're a musician, you have to have a YouTube channel. You Mm -hmm. have to have... I love having video that goes with a song, at least. must be from my filmmaking days. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I mean... Tons of uh, technical difficulties and then tons of just me learning how to use this thing and how to make it sound good enough, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the video will come out soon. <laughs> it sounds we'll really see. cool. So It sounds yeah. cool. I like it. Yeah. It sounds I like jazzy. It. I liked it also. Jazzy. Thank you, Molly. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> um, Molly, I have a question for you now about... Um, well, sort of starting starting with the seed of <laughs> when you were learning the bass from your instructor, like yeah. you said that this person like basically is like a great instructor for you. Is that where you went into folk or did you have that drive already? Like who inspired you or how did you find that your um, way to that? So my mom is a professional uh, fiddle player. She, Donna Bear, she primarily uh, plays French Canadian folk fiddle, Quebecois fiddle, but she also plays Celtic music and uh, a little bit of all genres. Um, she's been doing it for 40 plus years now. Wow. In the she scene. must be a really skilled, uh, amazing musician. She is an amazing musician and an incredible person. Um, I love her dearly. Uh, she is 
I mean, it may sound like, but I talk to my mom on the phone almost every day. Yeah, that's great. Um, she's a really great person and totally an inspiration to me because growing up, she was a professional musician and teacher, and that's what she did. So I never that's doubted. A role model. Yeah, I never doubted that being a professional musician was possible. Difficult, don't get me wrong, but possible. Um, and so that, I think, is huge. And, you know, a lot of people who I know um, who are who are artists either come from two backgrounds and not disparaging on either of them. There's the backgrounds of the people whose parents were artists and who have the capacity and the resilience to try this business because they've seen it. And there's people who come from families where there's some sort of, um, where there's a fail-saver cushion. And a lot of that uh, was present at NYU because NYU is so expensive that um, a lot of people who were there performing and were incredible artists were artists because they could afford to be. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other flip side of people, and I would probably put myself in the category of people who go into it knowing it's going to be a horrible and hard sometimes <laughs> and do it anyway yeah. because you're like well it's possible yeah <laughs> and I've seen people do it but no my mom is incredible she has played folk music since long before I was born she was in a band called Yankee Ingenuity one uh in the 80s that kind of jump-started the contra dance scene in on the east coast and in Boston mm -hmm. um so she started in the contra dance scene and kind of worked from there and Again, she started the Great Groove Band program that I uh, that I help her run. Right. And uh, teaching is a huge part of her mission, and she really wants to make sure that folk music gets passed on to the next generation. Mm -hmm. And uh, as such, she really tried to get me to play the fiddle probably about three or four times, different uh -huh. occasions over the course of my childhood. And I hated it, and I it didn't take, and I probably partly because it was my mom and you know, much as you look up to your parents, you never want to be exactly like them, right. particularly when you're a kid or a rowdy teenager. Mm -hmm. And then, so when I bought, when I started playing the electric bass, she was ecstatic. And when I bought the upright, she, I think, was over the moon. <laughs> um, she was so happy. And, you know, in our other band, I play with her in a band called Miscovered Mountains that does primarily Celtic material. We'll play stuff where we play little harmonic duets uh, when I bow the bass and stuff like that. And oh, it's neat. really a kick to be able to play and sing with my mom like that. But yeah, so to answer your question, sorry, super long-winded. Um, <laughs> folk music was something that I grew up with. I didn't ever really listen to pop music outside of the Beatles until I was about 12 years old mm -hmm. um didn't know it existed like knew it existed maybe but wasn't really a part of of my listening or or upbringing my mom used to teach me the words to long ballads and we'd sing them in the car when she was on tour I'd go with her for a month at a time mm -hmm. and just the two of us in a car driving up and down the California coast yeah <laughs> yeah uh, I was That's the navigator. Such a nice memory. Yeah, it's really, it's really wonderful, and I'm really so glad to have found my way back to being a part of this sort of music. Mm -hmm. um, I got into musical theater hardcore as a you know preteen, and went to school for musical theater. And actually, what kicked me back into the folk scene was I took Irish Gaelic as a language because. 
it fit my schedule and it looked cool. <laughs> and they had a Irish Gaelic folk singing group at NYU, which was a voluntary group, but I decided I really liked my professor. And so I decided to go to that group. And when I started singing all these Gaelic folk songs, I came back home that Christmas to my mom and was like, do you want to work up some of these? And we had been playing together for a little while, but that was really the thing that kick-started it into, into being more part of what I did. That's such a cool story. I love that you play music with your mom. It's so nice. I love it too. <laughs> yeah. It's, and you're just, you're so cute about how much you love your mom. It's really oh, great. <laughs> yeah. This is wonderful. Okay. So it's actually talking about moms and stuff is a good way to transition <laughs> into talking about female stuff. You know, yeah. moms are, moms are females too, <laughs> as we all know. Um, but also it's just sort of like, um, Valentina about your background too. So you're actually from Italy. Yes. And when did you move to? I moved oh uh, here eight years ago. Eight years ago. Oh, okay, so. 2009. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't count. <laughs> um, so you were telling us a little bit before we started the show that it, that the culture of, um, I don't know how to put feminism or fem- how people see females in music or just in general in Italy is really different than America. I come up from a very small town, and uh, as soon as I moved to a bigger town, things changed, but not that much. Um, the wedding band that I sung in when I was in high school. So I was about, um, 17 when I started that. Mm-hmm. And the, the, all the piano training and playing the drums and being on stage gave me some, somewhat of a background, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, we had a musical director that sort of kept all the wedding bands together who used to say in music, Age doesn't matter. It matters how many years of experience in music you have on your shoulders. So you can always learn from someone who's younger than you if he or she happens to have been doing that a longer time. Well, my bandmates didn't seem to think so. And uh, we would argue a lot during rehearsal. And uh, a lot of them didn't have professional training. They were sort of self-taught. Mm-hmm. So you were, in fact, probably the most senior was, in terms of experience. But I, I would say, I would dare to say so. Uh-huh. Um, but I was often shut down uh, with the, the phrase, or shut up, you're a woman, what do you know about this? Oh, my God. Yeah, which is like... Tara's rolling her eyes over oh, there. <laughs> we were talking about this in the car. My heart died a little bit because, you know, there are oh. terrible memories that I'm trying to forget about. <laughs> I have removed them from, uh, yeah. Yeah. Does that just like occur to you though sometimes in like to like what as a current day performer? Like, does this ever... I have to say that, um, so when I went to jazz school, there was a different stigma. There wasn't, you're a woman, you don't know anything. Mm-hmm. It was, you're a singer, you don't know anything. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh-huh. like, as for everything that I do, as the perfectionist <laughs> that I am, I just do my own and I care about my own thing. Sure. And I care, always care about doing the best that I can, uh-huh. right? And I'm trying to be prepared and uh, I just do my homework and... Mm-hmm try to have good work ethic and fuck everybody else yeah and there you go they, and what they and what they think uh-huh. you know and if you don't think that that chord fits there too bad because <laughs> i wrote it that way so make it fit yeah right? uh-huh. and, and um that's right in the in the wedding band there were, there were i was always in arguments with the drummer who couldn't count 
And like, oh. I, w- I would have to come for the drummer and, you know, get shut down like that. But I'm stubborn. So I would, you know, keep yeah. that door. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then eventually I was right. And he would, you know, never apologize yeah. for anything or anything. But, uh, I have to say that even those people, <laughs> now that they see what I do here and, um, how I do it, they, have been really nice to me lately. You mean like you know these people still? I know these people still. We're still friends on Facebook and and they'll never listen to this interview so I can say whatever (laughs) I want about them. They they primarily speak Italian. They primarily speak Italian so I'm fine and uh, they don't necessarily know who I'm referring to so it's okay. Uh And um, no, but uh, seriously, if I had them in front of me, I would tell them to their face so it doesn't matter to me. But they've been really nice and really kind to me and you know always very complimentary um, and so do you uh, think that they, on the success and does that mean they came around to liking what you do and they respect you now or I, did they like learn some manners or? i think a little bit of both um a lot of them had children and uh-huh. so you know you soften like, up yeah. as you grow and you know, we were all 17 18 19 mm-hmm. the oldest one was 20 years old so you say a lot of things you don't mean yeah. at that age and you're sure. really um, hard-headed is that what you how you say is that a word yeah pig-headed or yeah, something like yeah. that so I I don't excuse them because you should never say that to anybody uh-huh. um, but I kind of yeah, I can understand it's something you remember forever but though, I remember it yeah, that no, I remember it and then you know after that I was like nope I'm not playing in this band. Did you quit the band then? I did. It took me a while because we had some gig (laughs) lined up. It's very responsible of you. Yeah, it's very responsible of me. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I moved, so I I Uh eventually had to quit the band. And um, then I joined another band. There was a similar problem. And then uh, I met Lewin and I met all these other people at uh, film school Uh and at UArts later that were um, so supportive and mm-hmm. uh, had a different take on it. Uh, but I did have to prove myself as a, as a singer as well. And mm-hmm. uh, Molly can vouch for the fact that I know all the keys to all the Sparkle Pony songs. Very- <laughs> I, know, I know the changes, even if I'm not playing the, on the songs. And, uh-huh. um, what is the accusation there, that you're only ever doing things by ear and you don't know the, you uh, don't know what's the keys? That joke? Or- yeah, uh, the joke, um, how do you know a singer's at the door? Um, they don't know the key and they don't know when to come in. Oh. <laughs> so, so a lot of singers have a poor sense of rhythm. They can't yeah. count uh-huh. and, uh, they don't hear the chord progression coming around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in jazz, when soloists start taking solos, you really have to keep track of where you are. Yep. You have to sing the melody in your head yeah, if you're right. having a hard time or otherwise you have to know the chords. Mm-hmm. The most amazing jazz singers of all time, Ella Fitzgerald, Sarah Vaughan, Mel Torme, they all played the piano and they were all very into the theory of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so at, at jazz school, at, for a vocal jazz, uh, we all learned how to do that. Right. Some better than others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unfortunately, the majority didn't. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, uh, for, for us, it was, uh, but yeah, in general, let's just say that, um, singers have the stigma of like, no, not, no, no. Musicians. Not being musicians, which I, a term I hate. 
And to be fair, the two uh, sets of people who get it the most are singers and drummers. That's I feel true. Like. I was just going to say the drummers usually don't know the keys and stuff like that. There's, yeah. there's me being uh, biased about that. Well, and t- it depends on who the drummer is. Right. And what's funny, too, is, like, there's a lot of people, and I say this because partly because my boyfriend's a drummer, mm-hmm. but, uh, but there's a lot of people who, uh, like, there's a lot of drummers who don't go through the the effort to tune their drums or to care as much what the tone of the drums sound like. Right. Um, but drum, there are drummers who do care. There are drummers who care a lot <laughs> what the tone of the drums they're playing actually sound like. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a mark of, you know, of musicianship to, to know the difference. And to play to the song. Yes. yes. Rather and than just... Play and to whack and, yeah, and whack to leave space <laughs> and create dynamics. And I mean, that can be said for everyone. That can be said for singers and guitar players and anyone playing. Yeah, but if the drummer's not doing it, nobody He's, else really can. He has the loudest instrument. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He or she. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, definitely, dynamics are so important uh-huh. in a drummer. A listening, a person who listens. Yeah, absolutely. So your boyfriend's a drummer, yeah, and your husband's a um, guitarist and multi instrumentalist, yeah, yeah. too, right? Songwriter and everything. So, um, do you feel like musicians have to be in relationships with <laughs> other musicians? <laughs> Just wondering. Um, I personal think, question. <laughs> I think it it helps. Um, so I say that uh, the the other band I'm in, Rare Spirits, there's uh, I'm uh, you know I. Alex and I are dating each other, drummer, and I play bass and sing. And then our other, um, our other bandmates have a uh, girlfriend and fiance, respectively, who uh, aren't musicians, but who are artists in mm-hmm. other fields. So there is a level of understanding when you understand that there's an artistic endeavor that will take a lot of time and effort and won't always yield a lot of money, and that has to be okay. Mm -hmm. I think it creates an important dynamic that, I don't know, maybe you don't have to date other musicians, but it does help to at least be in relationships with uh, people who understand artistic endeavors. Mm -hmm. There's also the wacky schedule. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. To mention, because now, well, now I'm teaching middle school, so my schedule's changed, and it's it's hard to keep up with the rock star lifestyle and wake (laughs) up at 6 in the morning and go teach. (laughs) Um, So I had to curb my my late nights this year. But up till then, it was, you know, up until late and wake up late and then... Uh, run rehearsals, teach in the afternoon, whatever, and then play at night. And if you end up dating someone who does not have that schedule, you never see each other. Right. <laughs> you know, course, a regular yeah. nine to five, if your day starts at 12, it, it, mm-hmm. it becomes uh, difficult. Plus, you know, all the other beautiful things that Molly said. <laughs> okay. So now I'm wondering, um, I guess, um, it's a kind of a weird question, but like, have you ever felt your gender? Like, I know, like you, Valentina, just told us a story about, you know, feeling your gender because someone said you're a woman, 
you can't do this. You know, like that's just like really direct. But um, Molly, have you had experiences like that where like suddenly you're like, wow, I feel like a woman instead of a person? Yeah. Um. So what I will say is like most of them are definitely people who are attempting to be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I play the upright bass as aforementioned, and uh, for those of you listening who aren't watching or anything, um. I'm short. <laughs> I'm 5'2", and I don't wear high heels. So, uh, well, I do, but not for gigs because you have to carry a bass, and carrying a bass in high heels when you are a clumsy human being like me is a recipe for disaster. Uh, but so, yeah, I'm rather on the shorter side, and so I carry the bass, and I constantly get mostly men asking me if I need help uh, carrying it. And I always want to laugh. Like, how, how are you going to help me carry this? This isn't a two person job. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm not going to let you random stranger. I don't know. Carry my very precious for me when, unless you are a fellow bassist, you don't know how to carry it. Yeah. Um, but so I constantly get people asking if, if they can help me. And it's, again, I think it comes from a kind, probably chivalrous place, but it comes across as really condescending <laughs> mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And uh, I've talked to other female bassists about this too. And we had whole conversations about how it comes up all the time. And then the other thing that happens a lot that also I think comes from a place of someone probably just trying to start a conversation, but it comes across as so condescending is people being shocked that I play the upright as a girl or woman. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, wow, you're a lady bassist. That's so cool. I've never seen that. I'm like, really? Cause I know a butt and a lady bassist. <laughs> like I know so many, like it's an almost even split here. <laughs> um, but I think because it's such a big instrument, people just kind of make the assumption that it would be too much work to haul around for a girl. Yeah, or or um, I wonder, too, if there's some weird subconscious thing, like it's low-frequency notes, and low-frequency yeah. notes kind of like low is a male range it's of possible. voice and things like that. I think people just associate tubas and basses <laughs> and trombones and and dr- drums I'm thinking too. of picking up the tuba. <laughs> Are you thinking of picking up the tuba? I love low to. frequencies do actually. It. Do it. I play trombone and it's like oh my gosh, that's just so, so mellow and cool. Do you get it all the time too where people are surprised? Yeah, like anytime I pull out the trombone, people are like, whoa, this is cool. And um, I definitely don't know that many female trombone players, though. There's not t- It takes some long capacity to mm-hmm. to get a sound out of a trombone, yeah. too. And I have really long arms, too. Yeah. So it's like I have a natural, like, okay. gibbon arm for this kind of thing. I know a teenager lady trombone player. Do you? Yeah. All right. Give her a high five for me. I can see her. Yeah, it's, um, it's fun because it's those low notes, and I, I love it's like the bass instrument mm-hmm. of the orchestra or whatever. Yeah. That's what I love it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I get that. I, get that all. <laughs> I also get people asking me to, to, if they can carry my stuff around and pack it up and whatever, you know. It's weird, right? Because like part of you wants to be like, oh, thank you. Like, that's very nice. And the other part of you is like, but you really wouldn't offer if it was a dude. 
Exactly. Like you Although, if I may say, if I may say that super nice volunteer this weekend offered oh, everyone to carry their instrument. Dave, I did not mean you. <laughs> Dave from Flight Fest, this was not about you. Oh my gosh, the nicest guy. Oh, talk about Flight Fest for a second. I know yeah. we're in the lady portion of the segment, but um, you did a cool show just this weekend, and Flight Fest is like model planes or something? Uh, yes, it comes from uh, the organizers uh, have a, a YouTube channel and now I, I almost want to call it an empire mm -hmm. uh, called Flight Test, uh, where they design and build a model airplane uh, made out of foam board, $1 oh. foam board. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're amazing. They're so fast. And uh, it really made the hobby accessible to all levels of, mm -hmm. um, you know, pockets. <laughs> you can start up with whatever price range you, you want. And the fact that they are able to make a, a family event mm -hmm. that's completely around wholesome, uh, you know, hobby, like yeah. remote control airplane and brings Outside, people together. You know. And one of, one of them came up to us and said, you know, we played with airplanes all day, all these kids, super excited, super safe. So the kids just roam around by themselves. And then you guys played at the end of the day and mm -hmm. you're, you know, we were awesome. Were, the, um, were you the only musician? We there? are the only band for uh -huh. their Eastern uh, festival. Yes, uh, so it's it's really special to us that they that they like us so much, uh -huh. and it's really special to be part of an event and a festival that it's not music a yeah. music festival. So, do you you mentioned before that um, like doing the Facebook page was one of your to do list things? I'm assuming you mean like for promotion of yeah. the band and stuff. Do you do most of the booking and all no, that kind no of stuff? No, does all of Lohan that. does that, but yeah. you are in charge of the social media? Um, we split it. I, okay. I've been doing the, the last uh, couple of weeks leading up to Flight Fest. I see. Um, and it's been fun. I take pictures of the guys and the girls. And uh -huh. the people, people love it. It's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's fun. Yeah. And uh, I do booking and not all the social media, not all the booking, but as decent amount of it for um for rare spirits my other band and then mm -hmm. i kind of share some of the take some of the stuff off my mom's plate for when we're working with miss covered mountains and the great group band for our bigger contracts i'll do the logistical work I after think. she is you know mm -hmm. figured out you know that we're playing i'll be the person who handles the contracts and the checks and the taxes oof, mm -hmm. and uh, all that sort of thing so do you find that um like in a business place, a lot of women feel like they have to write a certain way to get what they want out of the person they're dealing with. Do you feel like that's true in the music industry too? I mean, probably. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I curtail. I, I write the way I would write any sort of business thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a little more formal, but I, I don't find that I'm totally modifying my personality or the way I communicate. It's just a business version of me. Right. Yeah. Um, which I don't think yeah, is that strange. I yeah, think men do that too. Right. You strike me as like assertive, but not like <laughs> sycophantic in any way, you know? <laughs> I guess. I don't really think about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess most people who know me would say I'm fairly blunt uh, about most things. <laughs> um, but you have felt actually very supported then by the 
people you play with, like the guys you play with. Oh yeah, absolutely. Nobody questions our musicianship in in, in our band and many others, many other bands that I've, I've played in. And you know, otherwise I wouldn't surround myself with yeah. the, with those like people. Like you left, you left those wedding yeah. bands in Italy because they weren't supporting you in that yeah. way. And when when the, the rare occasions where that happens, I just have a lot of experience shutting those people down or just throwing a laughter in and you know being super sarcastic and Mm -hmm. you just uh, de-stress the situation and just yeah just let's just pretend you didn't say that yeah right move on (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, and I I'll say like for the most part uh I give a lot of credit to the men who I've chosen to work with who really I it sounds so it's gonna sound so stupid I don't think that most of the men I work with it occurs to them that I would have any less value as a girl in terms of bringing creativity and ideas and music to the table Mm -hmm. I I know that it exists in the world and I'm fully aware that that it's often the case but in in the places where I've chosen to work and the people who I've chosen to work with, I have never experienced being dismissed as a woman, which is great. Yeah. I will say it's definitely like leaps and bounds better than when my mom started out. In the scene I was just going to ask you, <laughs> I was just going to ask you just to sort of round out the whole interview is like, how does, what is your mom's impression from when she was doing this? She says she'd been doing it for 40 years. Yeah. 40 plus. So that's that's incredible, and it, it must have been different when she started. Oh yeah, my uh, my mom had a bunch of experiences where, you know, she'd be asked to sit in a contra dance by one of the guys running it, and she'd flat out be told by the snotty, you know, approximately her aged guys who were also sitting in that like, you know, don't bother playing. What are you doing here? You're a girl. Like, get off the stage. And mm-hmm. I will speak up for I. I'm, Forgive me if I'm misspeaking, Mom, on this. I believe it was Dudley, and I don't know his last name because she tells the stories, and she's been telling them since I was a kid, but I don't think I ever got a last name. And Bob McQuillan both spoke up in her defense and repped for her, and if that hadn't happened, she wouldn't have stayed a part of the folk scene. She would have just been driven off. Wow, do you think she would have stopped doing music and everything? I don't think she would have stopped doing music, but I think she would have found a different arena if she had just only encountered hostility. Mm -hmm. And I think instead... Uh, there were people who stepped up and were really good allies at the time yeah. and actually, you know, walked the walk in addition to talking the talk and made space in the industry. That's so important. Yeah. That's it really great. is. Well, great. Thank you so much for um, talking with us today. I'm really excited to hear your creative piece. Awesome. Thank you for having us. So, um, Valentina, This is going to be a piece that you wrote? Yes. Okay. So what is it called? It's called Flying. Flying. Yes. And um, I guess this this point of this segment is to really kind of get a really intimate idea of what creativity is like for you, like how you produce the creativity, how it comes to you. So I just um, wanted to know, like, how did you write the song? Where were you when you wrote it? How did it come to exist? Um, I go home often. I go to Italy uh, a lot, about twice a year. Um, 
and uh, there's always that feeling of uh, sort of limbo and just being suspended when you get on the plane and the plane takes off and for the next six hours you can just do nothing and say nothing and talk to to your neighbor or not you know and it's sort of liberating right so that's the concept behind the song um i'm also very uh fond of just telling the stories of the people that are around me and i wrote this song from my brother who had just divorced his wife and he decided to come visit us in philadelphia and uh i just imagined him with all this weight that he was carrying around, just getting on the plane and being like, see ya. Uh -huh. <laughs> see ya later, everyone. I am just leaving all of this behind. Then there is this sort of the cleansing of the flight. And then he goes and, you know, travels and sees other places. And, you uh -huh. know, you, you go home a different, slightly different person. Yeah. And uh, so that's what the song is about. That's great. Uh, I'm pretty sure I wrote it right after a trip. And, uh, and right after talking with my brother about his divorce and mm -hmm. his occurrence. I see. And did he find it a cleansing experience to, to listen to the song? Well, I mean, like, so you were imagining his experience, right? Was his experience actually like that? I think so. Yeah. He, he, he's actually coming back to do another just like that. So okay, cool. <laughs> he's coming back in September. I feel like he, he, he told me the same thing. He said, I just need a break from uh -huh. everything. I'm coming to visit you. I'm staying at your house for a month. Yes. Nice. Awesome. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> okay, great. And we have, um, three of the sparkle ponies here. Lewin, Lewin Beringer has joined us to play guitar on this piece. Um, by Sparkle Pony called Flying. One, two, three, four. I've been a little low, I've been a little down. Waiting around for something to turn back around. I've been a little down, just a little cold. Waiting through this rough winter while I'm getting old. Flying. 
So we're lucky today we get two different pieces. This is one by Molly. So this is your solo piece. Uh, yeah, I can play it as a solo piece. I usually play it with my band Rare Spirits, and it has a lot more chords and stuff underneath it, but <laughs> it does work stripped down, so I figured it would be good for this. Awesome. That's great. So tell me about the piece. <laughs> what is it? It's actually kind of a funny story. Uh, last year, uh, around in August, um, my boyfriend and I took a bike camping trip where we loaded all of our camping gear onto our bicycles and we did a 130 mile round what? trip in like three days or maybe it was 120, but it was somewhere near there. Oh my God. Out to French Creek State Park and back and we biked around during the day and then our little break day. And um, the one thing we didn't plan for was that there was a huge heat wave that week oh. where it hit a real feel of 125. Um, and there's this stretch of the bike path where there's no shade and the gra uh, the pavement kind of goes almost to sand. Mm -hmm. And when you're biking and it's towards the end of the ride and you have 50 pounds of gear on your bicycle, it starts to feel impossible. And so we came back after the trip and later that week I was sitting outside in our backyard and it started getting really hot and this just popped into my head. Um, so it's based on a, <laughs> what was a very fun bike ride, but in very hot weather, but it doesn't come across as very fun during the song. <laughs> Do you mean like the whole song popped into your head or like a line popped into your head? Most of the song popped into my head. Wow. Not all of it, uh, but most of it. And then you start writing things down and it's almost like you don't think about it. Just whatever you're writing down ends up on the page and then you edit from there. Or at least that's how I work mm -hmm. most and, of the time. And that's with melody too. It wasn't just lyrics. It was the whole. Yeah. I, when I work collaboratively with other people, there tends to be, uh, particularly if you're working on the lyrics to a song together or the melody of a song together, there's a lot more back and forth and a lot more, oh, well, what about this? What about that? But for the things that, um, that I have written, it tends to at least pop out mostly formed, if not entirely. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I'll take it to one of my bandmates and they'll tweak it and they'll make suggestions and mm -hmm. that's when it becomes collaborative. But I tend to kind of think in whole pieces or whole chunks at the very least. Okay. And what's the name of the song? The song's called August. Oh, August, you have brought me down and summer's heat is falling. And you know I'll be deep in the rock when August comes a-calling. Oh, August, oh, August, when August comes a-calling. The sun, it beats down through my bones. I cannot bear the garden. And I may not stay to weep and moan as the earth begins to harden. Oh, August, oh, August, as the earth begins to harden. My skin is salt, my mouth is dry, I'd sell my soul for water. But there's no relief, no tree for shade, I remain the sons to slaughter. Oh, August, oh, August, I remain the sons to slaughter. 
The air is thick, I cannot breathe, and the minutes pass like hours. And I shrivel slowly like the weeds that have killed all of the flowers. Oh, August, oh, August, you have killed all of the flowers. There is but one hope, one joyful thought that I know I must remember. That the autumn wind will chill my blood if I live until September. Oh, August, oh, August, if I live until September. Oh, August, oh, August. If I live until September. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for coming on our show today. Oh, thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah, this is really exciting for us. You're also our first out-of-town band, so that's okay. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so being that, um, could you just let us know so listeners can find you? Like, where can they find your music so they can check you out? So it's sparklebonnieband.com, our website, and we're uh, based out of Philadelphia, but uh, we tour a lot, and we would love to play house shows at your home. Ah. (laughs) So uh, come check us out on Mm sparklebonnieband.com. So I also play with a band called Rare Spirits, and we are also out of the Philadelphia area, and you can find us uh, on Facebook, Rare Spirits Band, like Hard to Find Alcohol. Uh, <laughs> band, and then I play with a band called Miss Covered Mountains with my mom, Donna A. Bear, and you can also find that on Facebook. And do you have any place where people can find out about the program you and your mom do for um, yes. the kids at the camp? So if you uh, look up thegreatgrooveband.com, it will reroute you to my mom's site, which is Fiddling Demystified. So either of those, if you put them in Google, they will come right up. And yeah, it's a really cool program. We hope to get new kids every year. That's great. And uh, fiddling, it'd be cool if it was demystified for me because I don't know anything about fiddling. She has a book. <laughs> I didn't even know that there was like Quebecois style. Like it seems like so. there's so much uh, minutia I had no idea about. So I look forward to learning more about it on those websites. Oh, yeah, my solo stuff. Sorry, I forgot about it before. It's valentinasounds.com. Okay, great. Yay. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thank it was really, really fun to talk to you and to learn all about your histories and your music. <laughs> been listening to Petticoat Rule, galvanizing women in musical creativity. The views and opinions expressed during the show are solely those of persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the producers. Subscribe and find more information and episodes at PetticoatRule.net. Follow us on Facebook at Petticoat Rule and on Instagram and Twitter at PetticoatRuleFM. Rule FM.